Josh Galligan, first time on the video announcements. Come on. Okay, let me turn my break. I know. Hey, come on. All right, so let me talk to you about this real quick before we get into the, into the message tonight. We had a, a meeting with Cortez Hicks. Cortez, raise your hand. Catalyst Effect back there. He's got his bracelet on. See some bracelets. They, they have an amazing initiative that they introduced to us that's getting ready to launch citywide. It's called, it's called Silence empowers violence. And it's this idea that, that communities have a bias against working with police to solve crimes. And, and, and the way that cultural mindset is going to change is with the youth generation, right? People that are old like us, we're, we're entrenched in our mindset and our mentalities. But if we can change the way young people think, then we can change the way our culture operates. And so these bracelets are a part of a much bigger strategy. You can go to, this go, you can go to GoFundMe and then you can search uh, for silence empowers violence, and you'll get to this. And so this isn't for you to buy. You can't have one of these if you're old like me, right? I'm not supposed to have one either. Young people are supposed to have these, but we want them to be free to young people, right? And so we want to ask you to go and pay for one of these bracelets, and when you pay for a bracelet, then it's going to enable a child to get one for free. So our church, City Life, is going to get behind this. We're going to sponsor bracelets uh, to go into the school system. And on this GoFundMe, uh, yeah, you can clap. Come on. And if you go here and also to the Catalyst Effect webpage, then you can read about the, they don't just have a vision, they have a strategy. And I'm telling you, the strategy is amazing. So I'm going to, should I make it blink? Oh, look at that. Yeah, come on. All right, we're going to leave it on. So when you see it, when, you, when you're bored from my preaching, you just go to gun, GoFundMe.com, right? I'll give you something to do. If, if, so, hey, we've been in a series this entire year. Entire, it's the first time in the history of the church that we've done one series for the entire year. It's going to carry us all the way through December. Uh, it's on our discipleship model. Uh, we have an entire website that's dedicated to our discipleship model. The website is letspraxis.com. It's right there. We also, if you're visiting with us tonight, we have lots of guests here tonight. This is free for you. Make sure you find someone in a blue shirt, and they will give you one of these books. And this talks about our discipleship model. Our whole year, we've been digging into different parts of this model. I just on the in the back here. There's a list of uh, 24 virtues, and then before that, there's a list of 12 pathways. Now you got to go to the website or get this book to understand how all that connects together. But in this series, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of treasures in heaven that are connected to two of our pathways. One is generosity. We define generosity as having a heart to give freely and to offer help to others. And that's out of 2 Corinthians 9, 7. And then right below that is the pathway stewardship. And that's being a good manager of all that God has entrusted to us. And that's connected to Psalm 24.1. So we've been digging around for those, those two pathways for the last couple of weeks. And we're going to continue in that uh, again tonight all the way up through Thanksgiving. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn there. Or if you're on a device, you can swipe there. Matthew 6.19 through 20, the first part of verse 20. And this is the place in the Bible where, where Jesus gives us this command that we're supposed to store up our treasures in heaven, right? It's not a suggestion. It's not an idea. It's a command that he's giving to you and a command that he's giving to me that, that there are treasures that are supposed to be waiting for us in heaven when we get there. And whether or not they're there is determined by what we do here. And stewardship and generosity are two of the pathways that drive those treasures in heaven. We've been sharing this thought with you. This is my revelation. It's not my motivation. 
It's my motivation. If it's my motivation, then I'm only serving Christ because of what I get out of it. When it's my revelation, my focus is more on the place than it is the prize. I don't think that this idea of treasures in heaven is supposed to motivate us to do the right thing here so we get more when we get there, right? That's not part of what Christianity is about. I think this idea of treasures in heaven is because Jesus is trying to get us to treasure the place that we're called to be. It's my revelation, not my motivation. All right, so get us thinking along the right direction. Let's just do a little poll. Can we do that? Can we do a little poll? How many people here would say that Batman is a superhero? Let me see a show of hands. Come on. We're just coming right at you. Right? I'm, I'm raising my hand too, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute. Now, how many people <coughs> who are wrong would say that Batman is not a superhero? How many people would say Batman is not a superhero? And then there's just a lot of undecided. Who said he's not real? Who said that? Stop it. So, so let, me, let me tell you why. I'm going to make my case. Can I make my case? I'm going to make my case. This is why I think that Batman is a superhero. Because the question is not, is he superhuman? Yeah, uh, yeah, see, I know, preach, come on, thank you, thank you. The question is, is he a superhero? I would argue that he's more of a superhero than Superman is. You know why? Because Superman is supposedly indestructible. So how heroic is it to put yourself in harm's way if there's very little risk to harm to you? That doesn't sound super heroic to me. I'm just saying, just making my case. Batman, on the other hand, he's got lots of gadgets. He's got a little armor. But he's a human being without superhuman power. And so I would say that his actions are more heroic than many of the other superheroes because of his vulnerability. Right? Now, none of that's in the Bible. <laughs> but it helps us think in the way that we're going in our message tonight. Because we say that Superman is indestructible, but he has a vulnerability. What's his vulnerability? Yes, it is. Now, can you imagine if he wasn't aware of his vulnerability? Can you imagine if he didn't know that kryptonite could be harmful to him, but yet all of his enemies did? How dangerous would it be for him to put himself in situations and circumstances where his enemy would know something about his vulnerability that he himself did not know? Right? I would argue to you tonight that this is one of the greatest challenges that we face as Christians. Because of the time that we don't spend here in this book, that we lack the understanding that we're supposed to have about the vulnerabilities that we struggle with, which makes us more susceptible to the work of the enemy in our lives. You have a purpose and a plan in this life, and as we're going to talk about tonight, and a purpose and a plan for eternity. And you and I have to be wise to the vulnerabilities of our humanity so that we can guard against the work of the enemy as he comes against us. What I would argue with you tonight is that idolatry is the kryptonite of stewardship and generosity. Stewardship and generosity as, as, as spiritual pathways that are supposed to be active in our lives. Idolatry is the kryptonite for these two pathways. Because idolatry causes my stewardship and generosity to be misplaced. 
And misplaced stewardship and generosity will always diminish my treasures in heaven. Now, if you grew up in the church like I did, you were probably always given this definition of idolatry. Maybe not this specific one, but something very much like this. This comes out of a New Unger's Bible dictionary. It says, in a general sense, idolatry is the paying of divine honor to any created thing. It's the ascription of divine power to natural agencies. It's a fancy way of saying that you're guilty of idolatry when you worship anything as God that isn't God. That part of idolatry is misplaced worship. And many of us grow up our entire lives and that's all that we're ever taught about idolatry. And I think the devil likes that because it's probably the least part of idolatry that you're at risk to do. Most of us understand this idea that I'm not supposed to worship things that aren't God as if they are God. That There might be an unhealthy attachment to those things, and we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight, but it's not as though I worship them. Even if you're, if, even if you're not really connected to church and church life, there might be something inside of you that realizes there's just a limit. I, I can't ascribe to that thing deity. But I would present to you tonight as we dig into this chapter in the Bible that we're going to look at, that there's two other parts of idolatry that we're the most susceptible for, and that's that idolatry is also misplaced stewardship, and it is misplaced generosity. Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verse 15, we read these verses. I'm going to read to verse 20. Be very careful. There's an explanation point. You did not see the Lord's form on the day he spoke to you from the heart of the fire in Mount Sinai. So it's looking back to the time where the Israelites came out of Egypt. Moses is on the mountain. He has an encounter with God. But, but here the Holy Spirit is writing these words for us to remind us that God did not reveal himself, a physical image of himself to Moses. Verse 16 says, so do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form, right? This is part of our normal Understanding of what idolatry is misplaced worship. It says whether it be a man or a woman, an animal on the ground, or a bird in the sky, verse 18, a small animal that scurries along the ground, or a fish in the deepest sea, verse 19. And when you look up into the sky and see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshiping them. The Lord your God gave them to all the people of the earth. Remember that the Lord rescued you from the iron-smelting furnace of Egypt in order to make you his very own people. And his special possession, which is what you are today. We're going to build something here, so stay with me. In Moses' day, it was commonplace for pagan religions and pagan cultures to make physical items that were a representation of the gods that they worshipped. And then they worshipped those things as if they were gods. And God is saying here to the Israelites, hey, don't do that. Don't, don't make images and worship them. Don't ascribe deity to those things. But what's interesting, when you look at verse 19, the reason that they're given to not 
worship is not because God is a jealous God. We're going to get to that in a minute. That's how most of us understand this idea of idolatry. God says, you're not supposed to worship them. You're only supposed to worship me. But look at the reason we're given. This is the explanation, which is the definition of what a part of idolatry is. When you look up into the sky and see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshiping them. Why? It does not say here because God is a jealous God. That comes later. He starts with his definition of idolatry is that the Lord, your God, gave them to all the people of the earth. Genesis 1.28. Then God blessed them, speaking of Adam and Eve. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. It's interesting, isn't it? Here in Deuteronomy 4, and then Genesis chapter 1, this same imagery of the animal that's scurrying along the ground. The Bible oftentimes connects language of the Bible because it's trying to connect themes in the Bible to help us understand what it's trying to say. God here is at work trying to help us to understand that idolatry is not just misplaced worship, it's misplaced stewardship. Meaning that sometimes we forget who owns who. God gave you your body, not so that it could own you, but so that you could own it. He created our capacity for pleasure. We, we talk about it all the time in the Garden of Eden, the first geographically named place in all of the Bible, Eden in the Hebrew means pleasure. Pleasure was God's idea. He gave our bodies the capacity for pleasure, but he's got ideas and boundaries about how that pleasure should be experienced. And so many times, the pleasure that is supposed to belong to us we belong to it. We, we were singing that one song about not being a slave to fear. I looked over to Pastor David as he was getting ready to come up for the worship wrap-up, and I said, Tara's been in my notes again. Come on. Sometimes we belong to things that are supposed to belong to us. Misplaced stewardship, and it's idolatry. How about your emotions? You're supposed to own and govern your emotions. Your emotions are not supposed to own and govern you. Emotions make life meaningful when you govern them, but when they govern you, they create chaos. Your mind, you're supposed to own it, it's not supposed to own you. Are you in control of your thought life? What about your home, your material possessions, your money? How about your family and relationships, right? We can just keep going with this list. Your career, do you own it or does it own you? Because idolatry is not just about misplaced worship, it's about misplaced stewardship. It's about a misplaced relationship about who owns what. And when I allow things that I'm supposed to be governing to begin to govern me, the Bible says that's idolatry, and idolatry is kryptonite to our soul. Our purpose in heaven should be seen as one of our most cherished treasures in heaven. Our purpose in heaven should be seen as one of our most cherished treasures in heaven. I think when Jesus said, store up your treasures in heaven, we don't understand everything that he was talking about, but I believe that one of the things that he was talking about was your divine, eternal purpose. And if we're failing here, we're not ready for that there. 
Anybody got teenagers here? I got some. We've got one that drives. You know how he didn't get his driver's license? By failing everything that he was supposed to do to prepare for a driver's license. Who would do that? Scotty Moriarty's in here somewhere, right? Come on. Works for the company on the side, little side hustle there. He's a teacher in the Newport New School System, but he teaches kids how to drive. Praise the Lord for Scotty Moriarty. But if he fails the student, he doesn't expect that student to then get his driver's license or her driver's license, right? You're preparing. You and I in this life, we're preparing for something that God has waiting for us there. We, we talk so much about our purpose and our destiny in this life. We were created for a purpose. We were created for a destiny. We love that. We talk about that all the time here at City Life. But sometimes I think we forget that the destiny and purpose that we're created for here is getting us ready for the destiny and the purpose that we were created for there. And if we're failing in it here, we're not ready for it there. And one of the ways that we fail here is by not understanding this idea of what we're supposed to own and letting things own us. Matthew 19, 28 to 30, Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world, that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return. And will inherit eternal life. Many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. What we do here prepares us for what we do there. Now this whole talk about the judging of the tribes of Israel. and It talks elsewhere in the Bible about judging angels. That's another sermon for another time. I'm reading that to you to say that Heaven is a place of responsibility. It's a place of purpose. It's a place of divine activity. What we've grown up reading sometimes in these goofy kids' books and silly movies that come out, that heaven is this place of perpetual rest. Is it going to be restful there? Yes, it's going to be restful in the sense that we're not susceptible to these human bodies, but it's not as though it's just going to be napping for eternity, floating on some cloud, this chubby angel with wings. I'm chubby enough here. I don't want to be chubby there. Heaven is a place of activity. You read in this book, it's a place of purpose. There's stuff, get into the book of Revelation, stuff's going on there. And you were created to be a part of it. You were created to serve in some capacity there. And God puts us here to train us for what's to come. Being a good steward here is preparing us for our eternal purpose there, we must not let idolatry be our kryptonite. Idolatry and generosity. Let's do the second one. Idolatry and generosity. So we just talked about idolatry, and part of idolatry is, is misplaced stewardship. Now I want to talk about how idolatry is also misplaced generosity. Deuteronomy 4, 15. Let's read it again, but be careful. Explanation point. You did not see the Lord's form on the day he spoke to you from the heart of the fire at Mount Sinai. So, all right, that's 15. I'm going to read to 16a, just the first part, and then I'm going to jump down to verse 20. 
So do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form. Now let me jump down to verse 20. Remember that the Lord rescued you from the iron smelting furnace of Egypt in order to make you his very own people, his special possession, which you are today. I believe that God didn't reveal himself to Moses when the Israelites came out of Egypt because he knew that if he gave them an image that they would have made an idol and they would have worshipped that instead. So the question is, if they worshipped something that represented God to them, is there something more to this than God just being a jealous God? Is the reason that God withheld his image from them Was it only because he didn't want them to worship that idol instead of him? Was it about misplaced worship or was something bigger going on here? Let me share this thought with you. When I can hold something in my hands, my heart is vulnerable to to the belief that I am the owner instead of being owned. See, it turns here. Misplaced stewardship is things that we're supposed to own and those things aren't supposed to own us. But when we get to misplaced generosity, it turns. God begins to talk about, yes, there are things that you're supposed to own, but we're also to have a sense of being owned by our creator. We're supposed to belong to him, his possession, right? It says right here in verse 20, to make you his very own people, his special possession, You and I were created to belong to God. Have you ever noticed as you're reading through the Bible, whenever idols are talked about, they're preceded more often than not by a possessive pronoun. It's their idols. It's her idol or his idol. There's a possessive pronoun that precedes it. Because God is trying to talk to us about this idea that people with their idols, they like to have a sense of owning those idols, this idea of of God being in a box and they're in control. Now you might ask the question, well, Fred, what about the Ark of the Covenant from Raiders of the Lost Ark? I mean, come on. It's a real thing. It is a real thing. You can't get very far through the Old Testament and realize that the Ark of the Covenant was a physical symbol. Did God mess up by giving Moses these dimensions? There's such precision given for how this thing is supposed to be built. Why why would God risk that becoming an idol? It's interesting all throughout Scripture. You will never, ever once find a possessive pronoun that precedes the Ark of the Covenant. Not once, ever. It's always the Ark of the Covenant. It was never their Ark of the Covenant or his Ark of the Covenant or her Ark of the Covenant. God gave the Ark of the Covenant for many reasons, but was one of them was to remind the people of Israel and us that we belong to God, that we are his special possession. Listen to this. If I fail to understand that I ultimately belong to God, I will inevitably waste my generosity on pleasing myself instead of serving the purposes of God. If I fail to understand that I ultimately belong to God, I will inevitably waste my generosity on pleasing myself instead of serving the purposes of God. Where is that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. It's in Exodus 32. 
When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, it was like the HRBT on Friday afternoon. It says they gathered around Aaron. And this is what they said. Come on! Make us some gods who can lead us. It's a little bit of a self-contradicting statement, isn't it? We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses. He brought us here from the the land of Egypt. That's really all we know. We followed him out here. Where, Where is he? So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and they brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, he melted it down and molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. It's interesting, isn't it? They just said Moses is the one who brought them out. And now they're saying, no, it's these And these are now our gods that we will worship. Now, you can read the rest of the story. It did not turn out so well for them in the end. When you study in the Old Testament, and then you read the New Testament, the story gains some clarity. That God brought Joseph into Egypt because he knew that one day all the descendants of Joseph, which would become this nation of Israel, right, would form a nation. And he brought them into Egypt to become slaves. That was his plan. It's crazy, isn't it? For hundreds of years, the Israelites endured the harshest of conditions that you can even imagine, building the wealth of a pagan nation, and this was God's plan. The Bible tells us that when it was time for the Israelites to be delivered, it says that the Egyptians, on their way out, heaped upon them the wealth of their nation. What was that money for? It was the money that they needed to become a nation unto themselves. All of those people who were enslaved for generations, they weren't building the wealth of Egypt They were building the wealth that Egypt was responsible for for a time and a season, but ultimately that wealth was going to be given to their ancestors, to to, to the people that, right, they died, but there were generations that would come that would one day be the generation of the Exodus. And God was saving all of that money for them to become a nation, to field an army, to build a temple, right? Right? to provide food and sustenance, to care for the people. It's expensive to be a country. And people paid a great price for this money. It was sacred. And now it's being melted down in a fire to make an idol. you got to believe. Those ancestors that were in heaven watching all this going, we got to do something about this. We suffered for that money. We suffered for that gold. Do you ever think that the way that 
our generosity is misplaced, that it could be that people that have gone on before us are watching us and they're saying the same thing. God gave you that money for something else, for something sacred. Don't pour it out on these things that don't matter. Idolatry is not just about misplaced worship. Idolatry isn't just about misplaced stewardship. It's about misplaced generosity. In what areas of of your life are you possibly overly generous? The standard of whether or not you're overly generous in certain areas of your life is whether or not it's keeping you from spending your money in the ways that the Bible directs you. Let me give you a few. Discretionary-based spending. We meet with married couples. One of the four sessions we do, we do a whole session on finances. Did you know that finances is, is it used to be the number one cause for divorce. Now it's, and, and infidelity was always second. Now they're tied. That's how serious finances can, can fracture relationships. So we do a whole session on how to build a budget and how to, how to create a budget. And, and one of those things is we say, you, you've got to plan for discretionary spending because if you don't plan for it, if you don't limit, limit it, you'll tend to overspend with the money that's left over. If you don't have a budget that you're living by, if you're not defining and putting limits on your discretionary spending, what has a tendency is that you will end up spending money that God had plans for elsewhere. Image-based spending. Image-based spending. God doesn't want you to not have a sense of style. He doesn't want you to not look good. He's not saying that that he wants us to reinvent the monastic movement. But what he's saying is, if you spend so much money on your image that you don't have the money to spend in the ways that he wants you to spend, it's idolatry. If I'm spending more money on the image that I'm trying to project to the world and it's keeping me from having the money that I'm supposed to have set aside to go on that next mission trip to the Dominican Republic, I'm just saying, it's idolatry. If I spend so much money on my image that I don't have $10 so that a kid in high school can get one of these bracelets so we can change the culture of our city, it's idolatry. Guilt-based spending. People have a tendency to spend money in relationships to make up for the neglect of that relationship. Parents do it all the time, and they're getting ready to do a lot of it in just a few weeks. Kids are like, move on to the next point, Fred. Move on to the next point. Addiction-based spending. Oh, I know. I'm coming at you tonight. Addiction-based spending. How much money have you spent on things because of just compulsion that God had other plans for? How much? How about interest or hobby-based spending? What if we add it all up? Just, and this is just a few, right? We, this list could be so much longer. What, what if we looked into our personal finances over the last 10 years and looked at all the discretionary money, all the image-based spending, guilt-based spending, addiction-based spending? Addiction-based spending isn't just, you might say, well, I, you know, I'm not a drug addict or I'm not an alcoholic. Oh, there are a whole lot of ways that we compulsively spend that are born out of addiction beyond chemical. Interest, hobby-based spending, we add all of that up Is there idolatry that has been kryptonite operating in our lives that we didn't even know was there? 
money that God had other plans for. Listen to Luke 12, 33 to 34. Listen to what Jesus says. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasures for you in heaven. We've been working out of Matthew, but Luke, when he records the statement where Jesus made about storing up our treasures in heaven, he precedes that statement with this idea of sell your possessions and give to those in need. Matthew doesn't have us that. That's why we, we look to the whole council of Scripture. That's why all four Gospels are important to us because it gives the whole picture of the teachings of Christ. Luke here adds a phrase that Matthew leaves out. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up for you treasures in heaven. Generosity is a pathway to treasures in heaven. He said, in the purses of heaven, they never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. For where your treasure is there, the desire of your heart will be also because it's not about your motivation. It's about your revelation. Being appropriately generous here is how we make an internal investment there. Being appropriately generous here is how we make an eternal investment there. We must not let idolatry be our kryptonite. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I had a different closing I planned for tonight, but during the worship set, I felt like God was speaking some things to my heart, and it, it can connect to this message in some ways, but in some ways it's, it's broader than that. I don't remember how long ago, it was, it was several months ago, I was coming out of the church late one night, it was, it was dark out, and, and, I, and I noticed our, our van uh, in the parking lot, and I didn't know Vanessa was, was going to be here, and so I was all excited, I didn't know why she was here, but you know, my, you know it's, we've been married for 21 years, but I'm still in love with my wife, come on, and so right, I know, it's a points-based system, guys, come on, racking them up, racking them up, because it all resets tomorrow, right, just so you know. It only sets tomorrow. You got to set your clocks back and your points start over. Both of those. It's a true thing. And so I, I'm, I'm crossing the parking lot. I'm all excited. I'm going to hop. I'm just going to hop in the van, right? I'm just going to hop in. Honey, what are you doing there? And as I, as I get close to the van, I, I realize there are a lot of people in this van. It's like, why are all these, what are all, why is this van full of people? So I'm getting closer and closer and closer and I realize... That looks like our van, but that's not my wife. And this is not my family. It was Claudia, Cortez's wife. And all of their kids. I kid you not. I mean, I was so close to just walking right over to the passenger side and just hopping right in, right? That would have made for a great story, right? I was like, and so then as soon as I walked up, right, I told her the whole story and we were both, we were both dying, we were laughing so hard. There are times in our lives where we are absolutely convinced that we are right. You, you, when I was walking up to that van, you could have not talked to me out of believing that that was my van and that was my wife in that parking lot. I was convinced, but I couldn't have been more wrong. You and I in this life, we've got to be willing to let the Holy Spirit come along beside us and begin to point out the false thinking that we've struggled with for some of us for decades. Whether that's supposed to happen for you here at City Life, we're just glad you're here tonight. 
but it might be that you're here because you're supposed to be a part of some other church somewhere else. And what I'm saying to you is part of the journey that you're desperate for and I'm desperate for to guard against false thinking is to be deep and all in into a community of faith. Because one of the ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to us about false thinking that we struggle with is through the people that are walking with us and love us enough to ask us the hard questions. So if you're here tonight and you don't have a church to call home, it doesn't. if it's City Life, that's great. But if it's not, what we're saying is find the church that's supposed to be your family to begin to undo the false thinking that's robbing you, not just of the goodness that God has for you in this life, but for the goodness that's waiting for you in the life to come. Stand with me as we worship. Father, we thank you for tonight. As we step into this moment of worship, we know that everybody here is having a different conversation with you. And that conversation is based on where they are in their walk with you and all of us. We're at different places. So Father, we just want to take this moment in this song to still our hearts, to focus our thoughts, to quiet ourselves with a listening ear and say, Holy Spirit, what is it that you want to say to me tonight? And may it be that whatever, Holy Spirit, you speak to us, that those words would take root deep in our hearts. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.